How can dermatologists recognize fungal diseases and identify the difficult to treat cases of tinea? What are the commonly employed treatments, measures, and differential diagnosis? Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast. In today's episode, Professor Roderick Hay and Dr. Shiam Verma are diving into a topic of dermatophyte infections, including their prevalence, molecular characteristics, risk factors, changing clinical patterns, and the alarming phenomenon of antifungal resistance. But before we get into that, Save the date for our upcoming symposium hosted in Seville, Spain, 18th to the 20th of May 2023. Discover the latest scientific updates across acne, pigmentary disorders, atopic dermatitis, pediatric dermatology and more. The symposium format offers you the chance to meet leaders in your specialty from all over Europe and beyond. Stay tuned for more. Dr. Verma is a serial dermatologist from Valladolid City. He has held several important positions in the society over the past 12 years, and he has also hosted a regional meeting of ISD in New Delhi in 2018. He has authored 180 scientific articles and several dermatologic book chapters. And now the floor goes to the professors. One of the essentials of medical practice is that we have the right tools to do the job. And in the case of infections, that we have antimicrobials to treat our patients, which are safe to use. The purpose of this EADV podcast is to explore an area where dermatologists worldwide are beginning to experience difficulties, and that is in the treatment of dermatophyte or ringworm infection. Some of these patients do not appear to be responding to therapy. The problem was originally identified in India, and so who better to provide us an insight into this is uh, my colleague, Dr. Shyam Verma, who is a consultant dermatologist in India, who has published a great deal and has worked in this field over a number of years. So Shyam, in your practice and in your experience, what do you mean by a difficult to treat dermatophyte infection? Well, let me put it this way. Um, in the past, 10 years, uh, we have seen the very beginning of dermatophyte infections becoming difficult to treat. And uh, these are very different from, in several ways from what we used to see about a decade ago, or I'd say about eight years ago and before. And uh, some of the commonalities between um, this particular difficult to treat tinea and ones that were thought not to be very difficult uh, include hot, humid weather. I mean, uh, th these are triggers for tinea in any case, whatever variant they are, hot, humid weather, overcrowding, uh, obesity, you know, uh, immunocompromised patients, or, uh, you know, contacts with tinea in the family, people uh, wearing occlusive clothing, you know, poor hygiene. But what has what has been very uh, striking in this current uh, ep epidemic, if I were to use the word, it's the increased infectivity and the in increased uh, uh, virulence uh, of the organism. These are two things that were not seen previously. There are many clinical pointers to, to what we call difficult to treat tinea, which I, I'd be very happy to elaborate upon. What do these infections look like? Let's go back to the past, just for the sake of comparison. Uh, we used to have, we used to describe tinea as a circumscribed 
a lesion with uh, scales. It was a scaly lesion, and it used to be cl uh, clear in the center with active borders. And it would be maybe one or at the very most uh, two or three lesions, but usually more often than not, it used to be one. And they were not at all uh, very inflammatory in nature. And now what we are seeing is uh, one predominantly tinea corporis and tinea cruris, very often together. They are, the lesions are much larger. There are uh, several uh, uh, lesions that are often seen in one patient, so a more number of lesions. The, the tinea, the disease is very often widespread and sometimes so widespread that you can actually give it uh, a description or, or maybe would come under the differential diagnosis of uh, erythroderma or exfoliative dermatitis. These are lesions that often affect multiple sites over and above the tinea cruris and the tinea corporis anywhere on the body. Very often we see tinea fasciae, which is uh, again, not something that we used to see very often, and now it has become routine to see uh, lesions on the face. And another striking feature is that the inflammatory component is pretty high in a lot of cases of uh, the uh, tinea cases that we see currently. Unfortunately, we, uh, because of a lack of population-based studies, it, uh, we do not have much uh, reliable data. Most of the studies come from hospital-based surveys, uh, and uh, therefore it, it may not be the most accurate way of uh, describing statistics, but uh, uh, there are several departments and departmental studies that have described anything between uh, 15 to even 60% of their outpatient department uh, being uh, 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 comprising uh, patients suffering from tinea. Uh, this is the, I'm talking about the, 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 the load, the patient load of tinea in, in India. And I suspect it is very similar even in uh, the neighboring countries. So this is what, uh, what we are seeing. However, we have our own definition of what we call uh, uh, difficult to treat tinea or uh, uh, recalcitrant tinea. Sometimes it is called resistant tinea, treatment resistant tinea. Now that is a different, uh, in a way, rather different from what uh, the general uh, description that I gave. Can you tell us a little bit which organisms are responsible for this outbreak that you're describing? Uh, again, let me go back to the history for uh, just to compare, for a long, long time, trichophyton rubrum was the predominant uh, dermatophyte. And probably that is why uh, we did not see a lot of inflammatory tinea. Um, and uh, uh, obviously, being anthropophilic, it was, uh, 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 it explained why uh, it was, mm, it was infecting human beings and um, uh, it was the inflammation was not really very acute or not very striking, but uh, now we are seeing patients uh, with uh, uh, where the they have been uh, uh, the KOH is positive and the culture detects 
trichophyton mentagrophytes. And uh, there has been quite a lot of confusion here because uh, many people have uh, described uh, in culture trichophyton interdigitale. Some people call it trichophyton mentagrophytes. Some people like to describe the organism as, uh, you know, trichophyton mentagrophytes uh, 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 complex. Some people call it just plain trichophyton uh, species and not uh, give further compartmentalize. But now what has emerged is, thanks to the molecular studies, that there is uh, a new species which has been assigned to this in the past two years, and that's uh, Trichophyton indotini, uh, which for several years, starting from 2018-19, uh, was designated the name Trichophyton mentagrophytes genotype 8, uh, which, and there is a lot of literature uh, including description of how it switched from trichophyton mentagrophytes type 8 uh, to trichophyton indotini, uh, which essentially is molecularly identical, but has been assigned to a species. And this is important for even practicing dermatologists who have probably more than a passing interest. And if they look up literature, they will see so many names describing the, the, the predominant organism that it can be quite confusing. But I think for all practical purposes now, trichophyton indotini or trichophyton uh, mentagrophytes genotype 8 would be uh, the organism responsible for it. How do you treat these infections? Right. Um, right now, from uh, there, there has been a lot of literature coming out of India. Uh, very, very interesting literature that I would, I would definitely... Uh, suggest the audience to read as and when uh, they find the time. And uh, from the, the current trend, itraconazole rules the roost in India. This is the one go-to antifungal for most people, most departments, and most private practicing dermatologists, more so the private practicing dermatologists. And the reason is that most people, most people in private practice do not have the luxury of time to experiment with other molecules like terbinafin or uh, some azoles which were used in the past, but they would rather uh, do this in a shorter period of time. So itraconazole is, is the drug of choice in India right now. Um, it's uh, given in uh, the dose of it, it, again, there have been lots of uh, variations in the dose, in the duration of treatment, um, whether to give it, uh, uh, you know, in single dose or uh, uh, two divided doses. Some people think that 100 milligrams once a day is fine. Most feel that 200 milligrams is the minimum that should be given to the patient. Uh, some people have gone as far as to uh, uh, give 400 milligrams, especially in recalcitrant tinea or uh, difficult to treat tinea, which is, I would like to speak a little bit about that. And uh, uh, there is, uh, uh, but I would say that the general guideline would be to give 100 milligrams twice a day till the, the patient has clinically, uh, uh, the lesions have resolved. Uh, and um, uh, microbiologically, the patient is uh, negative. Uh, 
I must point out one interesting paper that has just appeared in JAMA Dermatology in the September issue, which has compared 100, 200, and 400 milligrams, and they feel that uh, 400 milligrams is probably more efficacious uh, in significant subset of patients. Now, this is this comes to the oral part. There are still some people who use terbinafine, which is un, which is unfortunate, especially for the derm dermatologist, because in if you are suspecting uh, a, a treatment resistant uh, tinea, then you certainly do not uh, give uh, make that choice. And because terbinafine resistance has been noted in this particular variant of dermatophytosis, so if you if you have a patient who has come from uh, another dermatologist or after having taken terbinafine, that is not a drug that I would uh, touch. Uh, but the second choice that people do use is fluconazole, though uh, you know there are high MICs noted. But again, I repeat, itraconazole in 100 milligrams twice a day or 200 milligrams once uh, it, for till there is resolution, clinical resolution, which may be anything around uh, about the average time is six to eight weeks, and sometimes it can go as long as three months, but not to stop before before you can see obvious uh, res complete resolution. Coming to topicals, uh, the triazole uh, molecules are are much uh, are very much preferred, though they are more expensive. There is a feeling that newer uh, 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 molecules like sertaconazole and especially the, the current hot favorite laliconazole fare better than uh, some of the age-old uh, molecules like uh, clotrimazole and uh, myconazole. I think these are the two predominantly used uh, um, molecules topically. Now, uh, Rod, your uh, noted authority, uh, in fungal diseases, and your current interest is does happen to be dermatophytosis. So you would be the right choice to to ask a very uh, curious question: uh, What exactly is going on in Europe? Because there is uh, we have been documenting several cases there too. So what is your take on that? Dermatologists in Europe have seen difficult to treat infections, uh, fungal infections, for many years. Most of these, of course, have been onychomycosis, where the explanation for difficult to treat is simply is different. Uh, it's about the fact that drugs may not, not penetrate very effectively into disease nail plates. However, difficult to treat tinea corporis and tinea cruris. Um, is comparatively new, although most of us have encountered a few cases, maybe one a year, and usually these have been caused by T. rubrum. The patients are usually immunologically normal, although occasionally they're immunosuppressed, and they've been comparatively rare. But over the last six or seven years, we've begun to see uh, infections exactly as Dr. Verma's just been describing, in patients in Europe. In my own practice, for instance, uh, this year I've seen four. Um, all of them have had certain features in common. All of them have had contact either with India or in adjacent countries such as Bangladesh. They've either stayed there or been to visit relatives and they've come back and they have these very extensive infections that 
that uh, Shad Verma has described so well. So the answer is they have begun to appear in Europe and in the EADV Mycology Task Force, we've begun to gather data to try and document this. And they've been seen uh, in several different countries in Europe. We know that outside um, India, that they're seen in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, and in Iran. And there's evidence that they're also seen in other countries as well. So the evidence is they are beginning to, to spread. Uh, the factors may be different, but the organisms are the same. And as Dr. Verma said, they do not respond in most cases to dibinafin. We have to use higher doses of itraconazole. Right. So, so, uh, so I see uh, the same logic here. Uh, obviously, that uh, terbinafin has fallen out of favor for very obvious reasons, and uh, because of higher MICs, amongst other things fluconazole uh, and other drugs i mean some of them are popular here like there is there are quite a few people who even use the old, uh, old uh, griseofulvin which uh, and claim that it is efficacious in a small subset of patients which is not the experience of many dermatologists so do you try anything else but itraconazole orally uh, yes um i've I've used griseofulvin, although in many European countries, griseofulvin, for various reasons, is not so easy to obtain, and it may be quite expensive. Um, so, and, and I've used fluconazole, but usually in the few cases I've seen, itraconazole at higher dose, at 200 or 400 milligrams daily, has been sufficient. I, I'm just wondering if we can broaden this, because... There are other factors that you've noticed that have been important in the Indian outbreak, such as misuse of corticosteroids. Could you tell us a bit about this? Yes, this is probably the, the, the most significant bugbear of, in the scenario of dermatology, dermatophytosis uh, in uh, not just in India, but the entire subcontinent, which includes countries like Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, uh, and uh, I would go on to be a little more specific and uh, not uh, say just pure steroid molecules. I would say the fixed dose combinations that are the so-called cocktail creams or combination creams which contain, uh, especially those that contain a potent, sometimes super potent. In fact, uh, shockingly, uh, we just found that uh, almost... Uh, uh, more than 45% of the, the uh, steroid molecule in these FDCs manufactured in India uh, contain clobetasol propionate as uh, one of the components with uh, one uh, antibacterial uh, and one antifungal. So the typical most uh, uh, you know, hot-selling uh, combination uh, cream would be something that contains myconazole, uh, gentamicin and clobetasol uh, propionate. And uh, these are unfortunately also being uh, sold over the counter despite the fact that they are now, for the past few years, they have been put in the what is known as a Schedule H uh, uh, list of drugs, which means that they cannot be sold without prescription. But they are available like candies. Uh, people buy them. 
people not only buy them but distribute them they share the uh, these screens with other people and uh, they're leading to utter chaos and uh, it's a it's in a way it's like a double whammy because you are giving something which is so strong uh, in its anti-inflammatory effect and uh, you are uh, uh, also at the same time you are not allowing the fungus to uh, be eradicated from the surface of the skin uh, and you are also because of the erratic application of these creams which is a which is a trend people do not use this very regularly it's always very erratic and therefore you end up uh, giving a suboptimal uh, dose of the topical antifungal whatever you are using so so that uh, is an explosive combination the patient is going to have immediate relief uh, which lasts for a few days and the moment the patient stops uh, it becomes uh, uh, the the whole thing comes back and people go back to the same uh, cream or choose another brand which contains exactly the same preparation uh, the uh, combination or probably uh, you know very close very similar so this is something that really needs to be controlled that's that's very that's very important observation i mean i mean in some countries such as mine you, you cannot obtain these drugs without prescription but in other countries you can and it clearly needs to be identified as a problem one of the difficulties shyam that we have is um how do we warn our colleagues in dermatology of when they should suspect one of these resistant cases i mean from our perspective it's someone with widespread tinea cruris or corporis um particularly if they've not responded to what we would regard as a usually satisfactory dose of an oral antifungal or they've lapsed within 3 or 4 months um in europe particularly if they visited an endemic area but um i just wonder whether you have any other things that you would add to that list well uh the yes i think the principles are the same when you see a widespread tinea which is a uh, chronic uh though there are some guidelines based on uh you know a a, a consensus uh, which uh, says that you should consider uh uh you know x number of months uh, as to call it chronic i would say anything which is um you know more than 3 months old uh, should be considered a difficult to treat tinea of course steroid modified tinea would definitely fit into that uh, group of difficult to treat i would uh, go a step further and say that tinea in pregnant women uh nursing women and young children uh would also be should be considered a difficult to treat tinea because there are uh, uh, several uh, you know restrictions on what you can use those of course who are immunocompromised those with other comorbidities which would preclude the use of uh, itraconazole um uh, people who are obese uh, and not to forget the uh, other factors like uh, you know taking into the into consideration the fact that there are there is a large patient population especially in our country and i'm sure in the entire subcontinent who are habitually non compliant and uh, 
I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know why this is, but I would suspect that one is the lack of awareness and two is probably the cost factor of itraconazole and especially the, the newer azole creams, which uh, uh, are just far too expensive to, uh, uh, to use for a longer time. Another is recurrent tinea. If the tinea recurs, uh, despite uh, six weeks of treatment and within, within let's say, uh, four to six weeks it comes back, then that is when you start uh, suspecting resistant tinea. Uh, certain things, certain situations do not change uh, and cannot be changed, but they still can be considered uh, a reason for uh, uh, to call it a difficult dermatophytosis to treat. And that is when people are living in overcrowded homes, uh, especially in our country and the subcontinent, when you have just one or two rooms where there are five to seven people living, there is no point in advising them to, you know, keep everything separate and to maintain perfect, uh, you know, uh, that one should be uh, as secluded as, as possible and keep their uh, clothes and wash their clothes, hang them to dry separately. The same thing with, with occupation. If there is an outdoor job, which involves a lot of sweating, uh, uh, and a lot of sunlight, uh, which of course leads to sweating. I mean, you cannot uh, uh, say, well, stop this job and get something uh, which does not involve this kind of uh, an occupation. So these are ones that I would call difficult to treat. Uh, and uh, now, uh, fortunately, almost everybody knows about turbinafin resistance. So in any case, in, in India, turbinafin has definitely fallen out of favor. So, like I said before, uh, itraconazole and um, uh, a topical azole is the way to go for most uh, difficult to treat fungi, uh, dermatophytes. Now, the the question, of course, we'll we'll talk about uh, the the diagnostic part later. Um, uh, uh, Rod, uh, you. Uh, uh, know that uh, this is probably what we are seeing in Europe is is probably the tip of the iceberg, because over and above the travel uh, that uh, you talked about, um, the, there is uh, a, a lot of uh, a, a large number of people, the migrant population, who keep going in and out of their country and coming back. Um, and many of them, I know from personal experience, stock up, they hoard. They hoard uh, medicines, they hoard antifungal creams and, uh, and uh, oral medication. And therefore, what is not really uh, seen in uh, the West, uh, which is uh, abuse of steroid, may be still uh, you know, it, it may not be picked up by the radar. It might be flying under the radar because this, the number of people abusing steroids might be small, but the the infectivity of this organism uh, with such a high infectivity, the ability for it to spread to other people who have not used uh, topical steroids or oral steroids uh, is so high. So there is a pool of patients who are continuing to disseminate the infection. So don't you think that a representation to the WHO is in order? 
Well, thank you, Sharon. Um, we probably ought to bring the session to a close, but I agree that making it, um, uh, bringing the case to other authorities is important. I mean, the other two issues which the EADV task force in medical mycology is now trying to address is, firstly, should we be doing more um, antifungal sensitivity testing on isolates from patients with particularly with tinea corporis. And there's currently a project under the way in Europe trying to look at this issue. And the second one is that should we broaden the use of different diagnostic facilities, including the use of molecular techniques um, in mycology as our standard of practice in the management of dermatophyte or tinea infections? I don't think we have an answer to this at present, but these are projects which are currently underway um, you know, under the aegis of the task force of which you and I are both members. Thank you, Sean. So in summary, we have a difficult but important task ahead. Uh, thank you, Rod, for uh, uh, steering this and uh, it's, it was good to hear your views and uh, this is a is a very important, uh, it has turned into a public health problem uh, in many, many countries. And if this is not checked, it is my uneducated feeling that uh, the situation, if not so grave, it might worsen in uh, well-controlled uh, uh, European countries too, and the, the, the so-called developed nations. And therefore, it is time to wake up to the fact that this is a disease which is marching into uh, you know into the uh, all over the world and uh, it is time to uh, control it and take measures in a country like india uh, or the subcontinent it may not be possible to make uh, molecular studies or even uh, antifungal susceptibilities uh, testing even with all the limitations uh, available to uh, you know general population, but uh, uh, I think one of the the, the most uh, emergent things amongst uh, others is uh, good strict regulations to uh, to uh, stop completely stop uh, over the counter sales of topical steroids, which are certainly making the uh, situation really very very alarming in the developing nations. And the government needs to uh, put a ban on especially clobetasol-containing uh, um, combination creams. Thank you. Applying for your ADV membership allows you to become part of a vibrant international community of professionals and gives you access to a variety of benefits and tools to deepen your knowledge while remaining up to date in your latest findings in your specialty. You're just two steps away from becoming an ADV member. Apply today. Visit eadv.org if you wish to learn more. Thank you for listening and until the next episode, take care of your skin.